Welcome, Comforted Home listeners. This is the Barking Truth, presented to you by Comfort at Home Pet Services. This podcast will reveal the barking truth about what is actually happening in the pet industry so that you can gain knowledge and education to keep our pets safe, healthy, and well. I will be your host, Jennifer Seibel, Certified Professional Pet Sitter, Dog Bite Prevention Educator, Fear Free Certified, Pet First Aid and CPR Trained, and owner of Comfort at Home Pet Services. I hope you enjoy. Welcome. In this episode, we're going to talk about pet myths. So a lot of times being, you know, a dog trainer and doing pet sitting, doing dog walking, a lot of people will try to tell me that, oh my gosh, no, this is how you're supposed to do it. This is what's going on. And it's, a lot of it's myths. It's myths that's going on. It's not on scientific evidence of how to deal with a pet and how pets communicate with us and things that are going on. So I'm going to start with some of the cat myths. So a lot of people seem to think with cats that cats don't need their nails trimmed. They have scratches around the house. They might scratch up the furniture. And because of that, they don't need to have their nails trimmed. That's absolutely incorrect. Cats do need to have um, regular maintenance on their nails. All they're doing is they're sharpening their nails. We all know how cats are. Um, They're the princesses, the kings of everything. We're their servants. So... What they're actually doing is when they're doing, you know, on your furniture and they're scratching up your furniture, they're scratching on their scratch pads. What they are doing is they're sharpening their nails. They're sharpening their nails for a kill. They are animals that are out to hunt. They are animals out to kill. So when we sit here and talk about and say, you know, my cat's always trying to trip me. They're trying to kill me. They're doing this. They're ninja in the night. They're sharpening their nails. That is not trimming their nails. That is not cutting down their nails. All it is is sharpening it. So when they go to scratch themselves, they end up with scratch marks. They end up with lost fur, things like this. You have to have regular maintenance for your cat's nails. A lot of people think that cats are self-sufficient, that they don't need any person around. Cats are social beings. They're very social. They want to have you around. They don't want to be self-sufficient. So normally in the wild, cats would, you know, go and search for their food. They would kill their prey. They like bringing us back, you know, presents of, you know, dead animals, rodents, anything like that. They're not really self-sufficient. You can leave a bowl of food out and depending on your cat, maybe they'll eat it all at one sitting and maybe they'll, you know, take it out for a few days. But they're they're not self-sufficient. They want us to be around. They need a connection with us. And when we're just providing them with their food, they're not getting that hunting instinct that they have out and about. People think because, oh, my cat licks itself, it's grooming itself. That's absolutely incorrect. Your cat does need regular grooming and bathing. Think about what they're doing is if they're killing an animal or they're eating food, then they're using their tongue to people think that they're bathing themselves and they're licking themselves. Well, they're cleaning up a little bit, but there's food particles in there. Cats need their teeth brushed. There's plaque. There's all kinds of bacteria in there. They're just licking and spreading that all over their body. 
to have good fur and good skin condition. They need to have oils and stuff um, taken out of their skin so their skin can keep reproducing more to have healthy skin, healthy fur coat, healthy, you know, growth for you know their hair follicles so they do need groomed cats do need groomed they do not groom themselves they do not bath themselves they clean up they you know help demangle you know detangle some of their you know fur and their matting and that helps them shed a little bit and get some of that shedding off and that's why we have a lot of cats who have hairballs and will throw up hairballs they're trying to take care of the shedding but cats are not self-sufficient and they do absolutely need baths. A lot of people think that cats don't need exercise. They absolutely do. They need exercise to help tire them out, to keep them stimulated, to, you know, keep them going and to help them lose weight. Cats aren't, we think of cats sometimes um, Garfield. We think of Garfield. He's just eating lasagna. He doesn't want to exercise. He doesn't want to go anywhere. That is not, you know, a normal cat. Your cat should not be doing that. Your cat should be active. You should be running them around, getting them exercise. This helps their joints. This helps their, you know, heart. This helps their circulation. They need to run around. They need to have exercise to be a full cat and have a good, healthy life. People also think a lot of times that cats love milk. Cats love milk. Give them milk. They're good. Cats are actually lactose intolerant. They cannot handle milk. So there are certain types of cat milk that's out there um, that you can buy for them if your cat's not wanting to, you know, eat well or anything like that. But cats are lactose intolerant. Giving a cat a bowl of milk outside, it's going to just end up making them sick. And then they're going to get diarrhea or they're not going to eat, drink it anyways. Cats do not, do not like milk. So those are just some of the things, you know, going on with cats and the myths with cats. So now let's, let's go into dogs. I have uh, certain people who... We'll sit here and tell me and they say, oh my gosh, I have a Newfie or I have a Husky. They love the cold. They love the cold. They need to be in the cold. That is not true. They like the cooler weather. Absolutely. They love the cooler weather, but it's still harmful for them because we're living here and we're in Pennsylvania. Your animal is in the house. They're regulating to the heat, the air conditioning that we have in our homes to help regulate our body temperature. So their skin, their fur, everything is regulated to that. It is not, they're not outside dogs. We're not keeping our animals outside nowadays. We're not in the Arctic where it's, you know, below zero temperatures where their skin's like toughening up to help keep in the warmth, keep on things like that. So they can still suffer from frostbite. I don't care what type of breed your dog is. They like the cooler weather, absolutely. But can the cooler weather still be harmful for them no matter the breed? Absolutely. That is all because we have domesticated them and they're not living in those temperatures on a constant basis that their skin, their paws are regulated to it. I have a, uh, I have a friend and a pet sitter friend of mine who lives in Arizona. So she's in you know hot temperatures all the time. So it's so funny because when she travels up here to, you know, Pennsylvania and she's like, oh my gosh, it's like 70 degrees. It's so cold. She's wearing like a sweatshirt. She's got, you know, sweaters on. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would die. Like I would be, but because her 
body temperature is used to being hot all the time from her climate that she's living in, just something that would be cool and relieving for us is actually colder for her. Somebody, if I were to go to, you know, Alaska and I were to, you know, live out there, some of the people you go up to Alaska, you see them on TV, you, if you visited there, you see that, you know, it can be snowing and they're walking around in a t-shirt. Their body is regulated to that temperature. Where I have a parka on, I've, I've got three pairs of long johns on, I'm trying not to, you know, freeze to death because my body temperature is not equipped for dealing with that type of environment. The same goes with our animals. So a lot of people say that dogs' nails, they don't need cut, especially if you walk them. Oh, walking a dog, it's clipping their nails as it is because all of a sudden it's, it's shaving them up. It's filing them down. That is incorrect. Your dog, that is a myth, your dog needs to have its nails trimmed on a regular basis. If your dog's nails are touching concrete when you're walking them, then there's there's a walking problem. My golden retriever, um, he walks a lot. He loves to walk. Um, his back nails are always a lot shorter than the other ones. But that is also because of due to a medical issue. He's having some hip problems. He's, you know, 13 years old. He's having some hip problems. Because of those hip problems, he drags his legs. Dragging his legs is filing down his nails a little bit more. So his back nails aren't as bad as what his front nails are. But just walking a dog, if their nails are touching the ground where they're getting filed down that much, there could be a medical issue going on that you need to worry about, that they could be in pain, they're dragging their legs, they're dragging their feet. But if the nails get long enough and they're not walking right, it could keep those nails longer. It can cause pain with them. It can cause them to walk funny. It can cause, you know, the nails to grow under get their nails clipped. It is not true that just because you walk your dog every day, your dog's nails are perfect and they don't need clipped. That is incorrect. You should always have them clipped, have that quick back far enough so that your pet is walking comfortably and not feeling like they're walking, you know, on their nails. They shouldn't feel like uncomfortable when they're walking and their toes are curled up and they're walking in high heels all day. <laughs> Definitely get your get your dog's nails trimmed, um, and your groomer would be able to walk you through some of that and talk to you about it. A lot of people think that raw diets are bad for dogs and cats. So my dogs have been on a raw diet for quite a few years, and because of it, I haven't had as many medical issues because that is a species-specific diet for them. And a lot of myths that are out here is that, oh my God, feeding a raw diet, your dog's going to suffer from salmonella poisoning. Okay, how many recalls have we had on regular dog food and dog kibble that has been recalled due to salmonella? But you're worried about me feeding raw meat. I'm not feeding rancid raw meat to my dogs. I'm not feeding it at room temperature to my dogs. They're, the the way their bodies function. We have many dogs that you know get loose or are strays. What do you what do you think that they're surviving on? They're not just surviving on berries, nuts, and leaves outside. They are getting you know roadkill. They are killing animals. They are you know predators, and they're surviving. And they're not coming home and having salmonella poisoning. There are more accounts of salmonella poisoning and salmonella sickness with regular dog food kibble than there has been reported of raw food. 
So people think too that with the raw food diet, oh my pet's eating raw food, oh my god they lick me, I'm going to get salmonella. That's that's also not true. They're digesting it. They have the acids in their in their stomach that is supposed to process this. So think about, you know, when you're talking about a raw diet and what's better for your pet is is the worry of salmonella compared to you giving them salmonella from a, a kibble. And actually, if you look on a lot of these kibble bags, there's a warning on them to make sure you wash your hands after you've touched the food. Okay, if I have to wash my hands and it's it's unsafe for me that I have to wash my hands, my my animal is digesting that. They're eating it. They're putting it into their body. How bad can that be for them? A lot of people think that there are dangerous um, type dogs out here. Absolutely there is. But everybody goes against breeds. So Rottweilers, uh, Dobermans, Pipples. Pipples is the biggest one. Everybody's like, oh my God, they're vicious dogs. They're the worst. They're dangerous. Um, they need sp I had somebody tell me, one of my clients, who I'm dealing with, uh, they're younger Pipples. They need special handling. No, no, they don't. They're a dog. They communicate with us in a different way. As long as you understand canine communication, you should be able to handle that. And it does not take a firmer hand. It does not take, you know, firmer repercussions. And these animals are not dangerous. They are not dangerous. It's all about on how they are raised and how you communicate with them and the science behind it. A lot of people think because... Okay, there was a fighting ring. A dog fighting ring was broken up. It was all pit bulls. Let me tell you something. Smartest dogs around, poodles and pit bulls. Everybody thinks poodles are so cute, whatever. Um, they are. They're adorable. All dogs are. But pit bulls are so willing to please us, and they want that attention. They want to do great for us, and they are the smartest dogs around. They are so smart that it's easy to go ahead and turn them into a fighting animal because they're so able to quickly train and learn. And because they're learners and they're quick learners, you can turn them into a fighting dog because they want to do something to make you happy. And if that makes you happy, they're more than willing to put their life on the line. That does not make them a dangerous dog. It makes you a dangerous human being. It's always the humans behind it. Really, it's always the humans behind it on how your dog reacts, whether you've socialized them enough. Or I, I've seen um, golden retrievers. Everybody says golden retrievers. They're, they're great family dogs. I have some of my own. They are great family dogs. But I've seen some vicious ones that hate people. They want to kill children. They're aggressive. And it's all about what their experiences have been and what they've been socialized with, which has turned them into that. So there's no such thing. We're, we're in a world now that we're dealing with, you know, social issues of, you know, discrimination against this, this uh, ethnic background, this color of the skin, this. You're doing the same things to these animals by a certain breed being targeted or being told that because it's a pit bull or because it's a Rottweiler or because it's a, you know, Doberman, they're vicious, they're, they're you know, bad, they're going to harm somebody. Um, some of you know I've helped raise um, Nero. Uh, Nero is a Rottweiler. Um, he recently um, lost his battle with cancer and was re recently, you know, euthanized. 
Nero, I trained him. He was a great dog. He was a therapy dog with me. He went out. He went to, you know, nursing homes. He went to schools. He went to libraries. Greatest dog. And I'll never forget that um, I took him into a nursing home one time just to bring some joy to people. And there was an older gentleman, and he was in a wheelchair. And Nero went up, and Nero's kissing this guy in his face. Like, I have this big Rottweiler kissing this guy in the face. This guy's loving it. He's got him, you know, holding on to his cheeks. This man's loving it. He's kissing him. He looks at me, and he says, what kind of dog is this? I said, it's a Rottweiler. While his face is in my dog's face, he's like, you know, those are dangerous dogs. Oh, really? Because you're pinching his cheeks and you have his face in your face. He really seems real dangerous to me. He's loving you up. You're loving it. It's not about what the breed of the animal is. It's how you're communicating with them and how you're teaching them about the world. So a lot of people also think that, oh, my God, because my dog growled, my dog's, you know, a vicious dog. It's a vicious dog because it growls. It growls because of this. It growls because of that. Growling is a part of communication for our dogs. It's Hissing is a part of communication with cats. Absolutely. When they do that, that's the last signal they give us through their body and their communication to say, I'm real jacked up. I'm about to hurt you. I'm going to bite. I'm going to protect myself. They've given us several other signals, and sometimes we don't pick up on that. But just because a growl or a hiss happens does not mean they're a vicious animal. They're literally telling you, hey, I'm uncomfortable at this time. They're communicating with us. I usually go and say, thank you for letting me know. Let's get you out of the situation you're in. Thank them for it. Thank them for giving you a warning that they are not comfortable and that they could turn into biting or turn into an aggressive behavior. Thank them. Let them know. Just because they growl does not mean they're automatically going to bite. That does not mean they're a vicious animal. They're communicating something with you. So when you're hearing these myths that, oh my God, a dog growled. A dog growled. It, that means it's vicious. That means it's dangerous. No. No, it means they're communicating with you. They're talking to you. A lot of people think that the myth of dogs eating grass is to settle their stomach or to make them throw up. Though that's true, a lot of things can be medically with your pet. They can go outside and eat grass, not just to throw up, but because they feel that they need the nutrients from the grass. They need to have, you know, nutrients of greens in their, in their food. Maybe add some spinach, add some kale. I mean, I have, you know, my puppies here, they're kind of um, silly and they're kind of dumb. But um, I see them outside once in a while. They'll get some grass. And I know they ha they don't have an upset stomach because we also give them yogurt in the middle of the day to kind of help the probiotics and the settling of the stomachs. But I'll see them outside, you know, eating some grass. That's telling me that they have a nutritional deficiency and they need more greens in their, in their food. I'll come up and I'll open a bag of spinach. They'll sit there and tear apart those leaves and they'll eat the spinach. Spinach is better for them than grass. It has more nutrients, more value in it. Add some greens into the diet. Your dog's body is telling them that they need something from that. And yes, sometimes it could be because they have an upset stomach and they want to throw up. It could be that the grass tastes good. They need those nutrients from it. It doesn't always definitely mean that it's going to be that they're sick or they're going to throw up or they have an upset stomach. They might just literally need some nutrients. 
So a lot of people think that loose leash walking means your dog has to be walking right beside you at all times. The dog needs to be walking right beside you, can't leave your side at all. That is absolutely incorrect. That is a myth. Walking nicely means the dog's just not pulling on the leash. It's called loose leash walking for a reason. The leash is loose. Your dog wants to go and investigate the stop sign, pee on a fire hydrant. Let them do it. It's their walk. Let them go ahead and do that. They don't have to be military style beside you at all times. People will think that, oh my gosh, my dog should be beside me at all times and know exactly where I'm going, exactly what I'm doing. That's obedience training, and that's for in the ring. That's for AKC judging. That's for your dog is a domesticated animal with you. You have to feel comfortable walking with them. That does not necessarily mean that they have to be beside you. If you want them to be beside you, you can train them to do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But just because a dog is sniffing the area, checking things out, seeing who else, you know, peed on the telephone pole, that does not mean they're not an obedient dog. That does not mean that they are not walking properly with you. It means they're checking things out. They're enjoying their walk. They don't have to be. There's so many trainers out here, and it makes me so sick and disgusted that, oh, if your dog's, like, walking ahead of you, that, that's incorrect. That's improper. Who cares? If my dog is not pulling me down the damn street, I'm good with it. I'm good if he wants to go and sniff that. If he's pulling, I'm not okay with that. But if he's just lollygagging around, checking things out, checking the scenery, smelling things, investigating things, no problem. He's not need to be by my side all day long. That's what causes some of this separation anxiety because we're forcing our animals to be right with us at all times. A lot of other myths people, you know, say and they look up on the Internet and some of these crazy dog trainers will tell you pets shouldn't be allowed on the furniture. They're not allowed to steep with you. That's showing they're they're going to be dominant over you. OK, we will get into when we start talking with our training series, we'll start talking about the dominance theory because a dog is comfortable on your couch does not mean he's going to take over the household does not mean he's going to be paying the mortgage. Does not mean he's going to be able to feed himself. He's just chilling on your couch because it's a comfortable spot for them to lay in. If you don't care and you don't mind, then let it happen. And if you have an animal in your house, they should be part of the family and you should want them to be comfortable in your house. I know when people have me come and do an overnights at their homes, they're putting out towels, they're putting out, you know, fresh linens, they're leaving food and stuff for me because they want me to be comfortable while I'm in their home caring for their pets. But we have our pets who are here living with us full time, 24 seven, 365. And we don't want them to be comfortable. If the couch is comfortable for them, let them, let them be. They want to climb up in bed as long as you don't have a problem with them being in bed with you and sleeping with you and snoring. If you don't have a problem with it, let your pet do it. There's not a problem with that at all. It is all about what you want your pet to do. It is not going to cause them to be dominant. They're, you know, not going to take over the world because they've been on your furniture. They've been in your bed. It's just a comfortable spot for them. There is nothing wrong with that. And so many people out here think that, oh, my gosh, my dog shouldn't be allowed on the furniture. It shouldn't be allowed to sleep with me. But 
at times you kind of want that little warm body next to you or that big warm body next to you. You want to hold them. You want to comfort them. And that's okay. There is nothing wrong with that. Another thing is that people think that there are certain breeds of dogs that are non-shedding dogs. Absolutely incorrect. Again, that's a myth. Everything's now, you know, paired with the doodle. There's a doodle this, there's a doodle that, there's a doodle da-da-da-da-da. There's all these doodles out here. People think that, you know, they're better, they're not a shedding dog. That's incorrect. So think about it as a human way. These are living, breathing creatures. As a human and as a person, I'm a living, breathing creature. Guess what? A lot of the times, I've got to clean out my drains, I've got to clean out the shower, because guess what? I shed. My hair falls out, I shed. So new follicles can come in. Our hair grows. I can have a short haircut one time, I can have a long haircut the next time. Our hair grows, which for it to grow, it has to shed itself out. So no matter what breed, what type of dog you have, they are going to shed in one way or another. That hair's going to come out of them because they have to have good follicle growth. There, it's just going to fall out. That's why we have Drano. That's why we have to unclog our sinks and stuff because our own hair kind of falls out and it regrows itself. That's with any breathing, living creature. There is no such thing as a non-shedding dog. Some will shed more than others. I mean, huskies, you can brush them. You're going to get a whole other dog out of them. Golden Retrievers, same thing. They have an undercoat. Some other dogs might not have the undercoat and you might not see as much hair. They're all still going to shed. A lot of people think that short-haired dogs, they don't need groomed. They're not going to shed. They have short hair. That's incorrect. They need to be bathed. They need to be groomed because you need to stimulate those hair growth follicles so that they have a good, healthy skin and coat. You need to check those kind of things. So, so they do need groomed. And even being a short-haired animal, they are still going to shed. The bad part is it's just shorter hairs. I know when I'm around a lot of short-haired dogs, I'm petting them. They're shedding. I mean, sometimes those little hairs, they will stick in your clothing. They'll stick in my bra. I'm itching all day. So it, they all need. They all shed. There's no such thing as a non-shedding dog. Other people like to think, and a myth is, that dogs only see in black and white. That is absolutely incorrect. Studies have been performed and shows they do see a muted color. They do see a muted color. So they might not see a bright red, but they're going to see a muted color of red. It is incorrect that they only see in black and white. They can't see this. They can't see that. That is incorrect. They do see color, but they see muted colors. Another myth that's out there is that when dogs lick you, that that means they like you and they're giving you a kiss. That's not always the thing, especially when you're sweaty. Everybody's like, oh, my gosh, the dog's licking me. They love the salt from my sweat. That is incorrect. Dogs can lick for many, 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 many reasons. And absolutely, it can mean that they like you and they, they are showing their affection to you. But a lot of times when they're licking, whether they're licking themselves or they lick you, sometimes them licking you is a sign and a communication from them that, hey, I need some space. I'm going to lick you because I'm hoping you'll turn away and I can get space that I need. They're kind of telling you, hey, I need, I need some space. 
but it all depends on all their separate body languages. Just because a dog's looking you does not absolutely mean that they love you. They could be a little frightened. They could be a little uneasy, and they could be asking for a little bit of space. So they'll lick. They'll lick because, you know, there might be something on their paw. They can lick because of allergies. Dogs lick because they're in pain. They lick because they're in pain. So they're not just licking themselves to annoy you. They could be in pain. They might be licking you to try to, you know, transfer some of the uncomfortableness that they're dealing with with some of their pain issues. Another myth that's out there that you can figure out a dog's age in human years by multiplying it by seven. That is incorrect. We have bigger dogs who their life expectancy, like let's say, you know, a Great Dane. A Great Dane can live to maybe, you know, seven to ten years. Whereas somebody like a Chihuahua, they can live to be, you know, 18 to 19 years. So when you're multiplying their age by seven for all different types of breeds and all different lifespans that they have, that is not giving you an accurate thinking. You have to kind of go by, okay, their age, what's their health like? Um, somebody, you know, a dog can grow older because of, you know, things that they do. Service animals, service animals, police dogs, things like that. They have a shorter lifespan just because of all the hard work they do. Their body is run to the ground as if they're a hundred years old and they can only be five. So they run themselves out at a younger age. So, like, think about it, a lot of people like sports, and I know the Steelers are back on now, and we're starting out with them. A lot of these athletes, their careers are over by the time they're 30, where normal people, you know, like myself, like possibly you, you're out here and you work in retirement age until 65. But if you're an athlete, because you're using your body so much, your body's so broken down because you're putting so much pressure on it. You're allowed to retire earlier, and, and you're dealing with a lot more medical issues that you normally wouldn't be dealing with until you're 65 or until you're older. So you can't just think of a dog's age and make it as to a human age by multiplying by seven. It all depends on the weight of your animal, how healthy they are, what is their normal lifespan to begin with. If they're an animal that's going to live to be, you know, 18, 19 years old, Multiplying that by seven is kind of ridiculous. But if you have a dog that could only live to age five, multiplying that by seven is also completely ridiculous. You can't say that a chihuahua is going to be the same age, even though in dog years they could be the same age as a, you know, Great Dane. It's different because of how their bodies grow, how they use their bodies and what's going on with that. Another myth that's out there is that if a dog's nose, this one cracks me up, that if a dog's nose is dry, that means they're sick. So back in the day, like if we were thinking that our animals, you know, were not doing well, we'd touch their nose. If their nose is wet, oh, they're fine. If their nose is dry, oh my gosh, they're sick. That is so incorrect. That is so incorrect. Just because their nose is Wet or dry has nothing to do with checking their vital signs to see if there is an illness and doing medical tests. That is not a medical test checking their nose. Maybe your dog licks a lot and their nose is just wet from them, you know, licking their nose. Um, maybe, you know, the dog, you know, has a dry nose just because they have a shorter tongue. They can't reach up there and can't, you know, 
a lot of bulldogs, a lot of, you know, some of our um, Boston Terriers, they have drier noses. It's, you know, the owners do have to put like Vaseline, something to moisturize it because the noses get flaky. That doesn't mean your dog's sick because they just can't lick or they're not up for licking or anything like that. So <laughs> trying to determine if your pet is sick or not by checking if their nose is wet is really ridiculous. Um, that is a myth that is not going to tell you anything. You're not going to find out how sick your dog is by checking their nose um, and checking how wet their nose is. A lot of people do think, too, that a dog's tail wagging means they're happy. It all has to deal with the, the communication your pet is giving. So is the tail wagging and is it high and stiff and wagging really fast? Is it low, relaxed, wagging? Is it tucked and underneath them but wagging? I was walking um, um, a dog who is, is, was a German Shepherd and uh, he didn't like other dogs, you know, too much. And he would bark and freak out and all of this. So we were working on getting him under control and dealing with, you know, those issues when he's out on his walk. I have this jackass that uh, walks past me the one day, and he had his dog, and he was watching his dog, and he had his dog under control, and I got my dog into a sit, and we were working on letting this dog pass, and this idiot comes past me, and he's like, oh my gosh, he's like, yeah, he's like, your dog's tail's wagging, so we should let them greet, because they're friendly, your dog's friendly, his tail's wagging, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm like, first off, I know my dog better than you do. I know the dog that I'm with better than you do. He is, his tail is not wagging because he's, he's happy. It's wagging through excitement, which can go one of two ways. Either he's going to kill your dog or he's going to get real excited and still be too rough with your dog because his excitement level's too high. I don't know. And I don't feel like chancing it because I know this dog, you know, doesn't do well with other dogs. And he kind of gets to be a little bit of a bully. So just because a dog's tail's wagging, you walk up to a dog, their tail's wagging, don't reach out to pet them. Ask them if they want to be petted because it doesn't necessarily mean they're a friendly, happy dog. That could mean that they're winding up and getting ready to bite you. So these are just some of the myths that are out here that people try to take as like it's true. It's been around for years that these kind of things and this is how you do stuff. It is incorrect. There has been so much research and so many things that have gone on in the dog world and in the industry to understand our, our pets so much better. Check with those resources. Check and see if studies have been done because a lot of this stuff was just, hey, I think this is what the problem is. I think this is this. This is that. Those have all been debunked. They've all been created as myths now. It is a myth to deal with that. A lot of people think that there's a dominance thing going on because, okay, back in the day, the only scientific thing they could do was take a bunch of wolves and confine them into, you know, a zoo and let's see how they react. And because of that confinement, you found out that there could be a dominance thing going on. But that doesn't happen out in the wilderness. That doesn't happen in the world. That doesn't mean it's going to happen in your home. So just think about your facts and listen to your professionals when they're telling you, oh, that's a myth. Oh, that's not true. Oh, that's old school thinking. Get with the times. Understand what is going on with our animals and that a lot of it can be due to communication. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.